I'm so glad you've chosen to begin a new week in worship here together. And uh, before we begin the message, when you, when you entered, you received this little brochure. Would you pull it out and take a look at it just a moment? The one thing that makes Southern Baptist Southern Baptist is that we are joined together around missions. And every year we come together to pray for all of our missions and our mission giving. So would you please take that home with you? Don't leave it here. Take it home and use it this week for your personal prayer time as we pray for lives to be transformed through the work of our International Mission Board. Now, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verse 12. This is called the parable of the great banquet, but I have subtitled it, Excuses, the skin of the truth stuffed with a lie. Now, you can imagine after being a pastor for 45 years, I've heard about every excuse in the world why people don't come to church. I mean, I've had some people say to me, well, I don't want to go up there because there's just a bunch of hypocrites. And I always say, well, well, come on, we always got room for one more. Or they say something like, I'm, just, I'm against organized religion. And I say, well, I'm on the inside. It's not all that organized, trust me. Or they say, I don't believe in God. And I say, that's okay, God believes in you. <laughs> or they say something like this, there's some people up there at that church I don't like. I said, there's some people up there at that church that I don't like. I said, in fact, there's one man up there that I have more trouble with than anybody else, and they usually say, who? And I say, it's my wife's first husband, and she's only been married once. (laughs) All kinds of excuses. You know, sometimes when somebody can't do something or can't accept an invitation, there is a legitimate reason that they give. But a lot of times when they don't really have a legitimate reason, they give what's called an excuse, and I call it the skin of the truth stuffed with a lie. Some of these reasons and excuses can be rather humorous. Uh, you might have seen this list before. This is a list from uh, automobile insurance carriers, reasons why people gave that they were in an automobile accident. Some, some person wrote, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and then it vanished. Somebody else wrote, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. (laughs) Somebody else said, I've been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. That's a long time. Another person said, the other driver was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. This last one's my favorite. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) Excuses. Uh, Let's get the context of Luke chapter 14. I often say a text without a context becomes a pretext. It is Luke chapter 14 where Jesus has been invited into the home of a very wealthy leading Pharisee. And you know, the Pharisees... They were, they were the enemies of Jesus, and they invited Jesus or watched Jesus so they could trip him up. They wanted to find him caught in a lie or making some kind of mistake. And so about halfway through the meal, Jesus shares this parable of the great banquet, or I call it the parable of excuses. We're beginning in verse 12 of Luke 14. I invite you to honor God by the reading of his word, by standing, if you would. He, that is Jesus, also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, 
because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. In other words, it's okay to invite your family and friends, but when they invite you back, that's all the payment you get. But on the contrary, Jesus said, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed by God because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus tells the parable. Then he told them, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, literally had already been invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, uh, um, I, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, um, you know, I, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go out and try them. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. My wife says, I can't come and I can't come. And another said, I just got... And so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Notice the reaction of the master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in. The King James has compelled them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Let's pray. Father, we know that in this story, you are the owner, you are the master, you're the one who's giving the banquet. You're inviting us to enjoy salvation. And so help us, Lord, to place ourselves in the correct position in this parable so you can speak to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. As you study the parables of Jesus, there are always a number of levels to a parable. It's almost like peeling an onion. You, you know what I mean when I say peel an onion? You, you got the outer part of the parable, which is just the story itself, the plot of a man who gave a party, invited people, and they gave excuses, just the story itself. But then when you pull it off a little deeper, you find other layers of interpretation or meaning. And, and in this parable, there's a, there's a national la layer regarding the nation of Israel. God represents the owner who gave the banquet, and those who were immediately first invited initially, they represent the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And they refused the invitation. Jesus came unto his own, the Jewish people, but his own received him not. And that's why at the end of the parable, Jesus said, I tell you, none of those who received an original invitation would be a part of the party. And then you pull off another layer, and there's a general spiritual application for everybody in the world, that audience and our audience. It is this, that God, the owner, the creator, the master, has invited everyone to come and enjoy fellowship with him. And we'll either say yes, or we'll either say no. And then pull off another layer. 
there is even in this parable a prophetic layer because this banquet, this great banquet, is a reference, I believe, to the wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. That if we are invited to be a part of that, what a blessing that will be. And then finally, the last layer, then this is where it all touches all of us personally. What's the personal application? What is God trying to say to you and trying to say to me in this parable? Well, I want us to unpack this story and learn some lessons, and we'll divide it into three parts as we study it. Number one, let's talk about the invitation. And here's the invitation. Come to the party. Now, you've got to understand Jewish customs. When you read this on the surface, it sounds almost like, you know, he planned this big party, and the day of the party, he went out and invited the guests. No. They had already been previously invited before, they just, they knew the day, they just didn't know the time, and so he's sending servants out to say, now everything is ready, come now, and they begin to turn him down. Now, you know, we can draw some conclusions from this that we can apply to our personal lives. Here's the first personal application. Knowing Jesus is more like a feast than a funeral. So Jesus is the one that told this parable, he said, it's a party. And it is a description of the Christian life. And the Christian life is more like a party than a, than a funeral service. And I say that because some Christians still don't get that yet. They think that being a Christian is a sad, somber affair. You know, there are people out there in the world who aren't yet Christians. And they think that to, to become a Christian, you can't do anything fun. You always have to be frowning. You can't ever laugh. You can't ever smile. That's what they think a Christian is. Where did they get that idea, huh? From people in the church who act like church is more like a funeral than it is a feast. Now, one of my favorite heroes growing up was a fellow by the name of Vance Havner. Uh, and I would often go and hear him preach. And he was not a very good speaker, but he wrote some of the most powerful things. I've got all of his books. And here's what he has to say about this. Vance Havner. I'll have to explain this culturally in a minute for you young people. I could never understand why some Christians would go to a football game on Saturday and yell like a bunch of wild Indians and then go to church the next day and sit like a bunch of wooden Indians. You see, young folks, tobacco stores used to have a wooden Indian that stood out in front and designated it as a tobacco store and sit like a bunch of wooden Indians. Too many church services started at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. The clock struck 12 on Sunday morning, Sunday noon, and the church gave up her dead. <laughs> you know, for some people, they think that Christianity is like a religion that must be endured. When we need to remember that it is a relationship to be enjoyed. And sometimes we are bad advertising. A joyless Christian is a bad advertisement for a Christian should be. And yes, there's a time for weeping and, and there's a time for rejoicing. But when we gather together to worship the Lord, that should be a time of rejoicing. Here's the second personal application. Everything is already ready. Everything is ready. You only have to come. You know, my wife, Cindy, she is the consummate Southern belle. Whenever we are invited over to someone's house for dinner, her first question she always asks is, what, ladies? There you go. You got it. What can I 
bring because she's so interested in bringing something to help with the party. And they usually say, oh, don't bring anything, just bring yourself. But my wife still takes some kind of little gift over to the host and the hostess, okay? That's just the way she does. But the good news about this party called Salvation We don't have to bring anything to it. All we have to do is come. Everything that's needed to be done has been done. I I love that little line from the hymn, Rock of Ages. It says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. God says, come. Everything's ready. That's what the invitation said to these people in this story. Hey, the master has prepared the feast. Everything is ready. All you have to do is show up. You know, I think that in some religions, the proponents of that religion fear their deity, and and they spend much of their lives trying to avoid the anger of their deity. They want to kind of fly under the radar so they don't make their god or goddesses mad. In fact, it almost reminds me sometimes of those old black and white Godzilla movies. Anybody remember those? You know, Godzilla was there in black and white, and then you see a bunch of Japanese people on the streets going... Yeah, I think there's a lot of religious people in the world. That's sort of the way they think of their God. He's coming. We better escape for our lives. But the God of the Bible is a God that opens his arms wide to everybody. He says, come, come. In fact, I, I'm, I suspect that one of God's favorite words is the word C-O-M-E, Come. Come to me. Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And he said, rest for your souls. You know, that's what some of us need right now, right? Rest for our souls. And Jesus said, come to me, and you can find it. From Genesis to Revelation, in the story of Noah, God was on the ark. And in Genesis 7, God said to Noah, come on to the ark. <laughs> This is where you'll find shelter from the storm, and Jesus is our shelter from the storm. Isaiah 1, verse 18, one of my favorite verses, God says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And you know, when you come to the very last page of your Bible, the very last few verses of the Bible, that's how the Bible ends with an invitation. Look look at this, Revelation 22, 17, both the Spirit and the Spirit. And the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. From Genesis to Revelation, God is saying, whatever you need, I have for you, just come unto me. And you don't have to do a thing. Everything is prepared. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, tetelestai, it is finished. So everything's done. So so this is the first part of this little story, just the invitation itself. Come to the party. Here's the second part of the parable. The insult. Excuse me. (laughs) The insult. And, And yes, it was an insult. I've been blessed by the Lord to be able to visit Israel and lead tour groups to Israel over 30 times through the years. And many years ago, I would always take a group to a certain merchant in Jericho, and I got to know him. The name of the shop was Danny's Shop. I know he had an Arabic name, but everybody called him Danny. And after I'd been going for a number of years, 
while, I, while our tour members were in there shopping, buying their souvenirs and things, Danny said to me, he said, uh, Pastor Dykes, that's what they call me, Pastor Dykes, would you come and visit my tent behind my shop and let me share a cup of tea with you? And my original thought was, I don't have time for that. I don't, I don't, I've had that tea before. It's kind of strong. I don't like it. We got to get to our next place. But I asked our guide, Reuven, who's Israeli and speaks Arabic, should I accept the invitation? And Reuven said, oh, yes, you must accept the invitation. Because for him to invite you, an American, a Christian, into his home and for you to refuse that invitation would be a terrible insult to him. It would be a terrible breach of etiquette. So based upon Reuben's suggestion, I said to Danny, oh, I would be honored to do that. So we went out the back door of the shop into this tent that you don't think camping tent. Think of like, you know, glamping. Okay, it was a beautiful tent and had lots of beautiful furnishings in there. And he went through an elaborate ritual in making the tea, pouring the tea. And we sat there on the cushions and we drank tea together. And I could just tell how honored he was how honored he was that I accepted his invitation. So part of the power of this parable is because in America, we just turn down invitations all the time and we think it's no big deal. In the Middle Eastern culture, did you know in Arab tribes have gone to war over invitations being rejected? So that's how powerful it is to them. So this wasn't just, a, no, I don't think I can make it. So let's take these three excuses apart. Because these are some of the same excuses people use today for not coming to God and accepting his invitation. Excuse number one, I've got to take care of my stuff. So this first man says, you know what, I have I bought some land and I need to go see it. Really? Really? You mean he bought land without seeing it first? If, if anybody here is that way, I have got some wonderful beachfront property in Lubbock I want to sell you this afternoon, okay? Who buys property without looking at it first? So here's your sign. I mean, he just was given any kind of an excuse to, to, to get out of going. I've got to take care of my stuff. And you know, there are a lot of people today. They're more interested in just accumulating more and more of their stuff and playing with their stuff they're more into their stuff, their possessions, than they are the things of God. And they're, they're not in church on Sunday because they're all playing on all their toys that they bought some of their stuff. So that's an excuse some people t t give to God. I've got to take care of my stuff. The second excuse was this. My job keeps me too busy. This is the guy that said, you know what? I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I must go test them. Now, the word for banquet here indicates this is an evening meal, okay? So what's he doing going out in the dark to test five yoke of oxen? Now, I know they have horns, but they don't have lights, okay? So, and there were no spotlights and torches wouldn't have done it. Again, he's just using any old excuse, but there are a lot of people today. They say, you know, I would really like to serve the Lord, but my job just demands so much of me. And I think all of us, if we think hard enough, we can think of some people that aren't serving the Lord like they once were because their job just demands too much of them or they put more into their job than they do the things of the Lord. Another one of my heroes growing up was a great pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee before Adrian was R.G. Lee. 
R.G. Lee. I love to hear him preach. He kind of had a high-pitched kind of voice like that, and I heard him preach many, many times. And I heard R.G. Lee tell the story of a man in his church, a young deacon in his church who owned one hardware store there in Memphis, and he worked hard, treated his employees right, and had the chance to buy another store, and he did. Fast forward about five years. He has a chain of stores now, and he's more like a CEO. And, and R.G. Lee said he noticed hey, he, he was missing church more and more. He used to be there every Sunday and serve the Lord. He gave up his job as a deacon, and maybe Bob showed up one Sunday a month. So Dr. Lee, and he was this way. He was that, this brave. One day he goes down to Bob's office Walks right by the receptionist, walks right by Bob's secretary, walks in Bob's office and said, Bob, I'm going to pray for you. Bob said, great, let's pray. And Dr. Lee pulled him to his knees, and he did that to me one time, pulled me to his knees in an airport at the ticket counter to pray for me. He, he pulled Bob down, and he prayed a prayer like this. He said, Lord, I want you to make every store of Bob's fail except the first one that he had. Because, Lord, you know how much time he served you and how much he, he worshiped you when he just had that one store, Lord. And now that he has all these stores, he doesn't have time for you. So, God, make all of them go bankrupt except that original store. Amen. They got up and Bob said, well, Dr. Lee, I didn't like that prayer very much. Dr. Lee said, that's all right. I wasn't talking to you. Well, Dr. Lee said Bob took that prayer seriously and hired somebody else to manage a lot of his work and got back involved in church every Sunday. The doors were open. And what do you think happened to Bob's business? Well, it was blessed even more and more. So make sure that your work doesn't get in the way of serving God. Now, here's the third one. Excuse my family takes up my time. Now, this guy said I just got married. You know, and just think about he would have missed out on the very first home-cooked meal by his new bride. He missed that opportunity. And by the way, it wouldn't have just been him invited. He would have invited his wife as well. He's just making an excuse. But he said, it's because of my family. You and I all know that spending time with family is very important. In fact, I tell everybody on every church staff I've ever served with, your family is more important than your ministry. What good is it if a person builds a great ministry but loses his family? It's so important. But there are some people that that's all they care about, family. And may I say to you, the best thing you can do for your family is to involve them in the things of the church. I'm so glad that my parents took me to church every time the door was open. And I'm talking to men right now. I'm talking to dads right now. God made you the spiritual head of your family, and it's your job to make sure your family is in church every single Sunday. Every time y'all can be there, you should be there serving the Lord. So all of these excuses, they just don't hold water. And every excuse that people give before God, God, I don't want to believe in you. I can't trust Jesus Christ. And here's my excuse. God says there is no excuse acceptable. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about Romans 1, how God has made himself available to everybody in the, on the planet through creation, through conscience. Here's the last part of that passage from Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understand, understood from what has been made so that, and here it is, men 
Women are what? Without excuse. Without excuse. To the owner, the host in this story, when his invitations were refused, he was angry. He was angry. And it is an insult to God for God to say, here, I want to offer you the free gift of eternal life. And you say, no, thank you. Uh, I have this excuse and I can't accept it. Well, here's the final thing we want to talk about, not just the invitation and the insult, but how about the instructions? And, they, and, and it's these two words, invite everybody. Invite everybody. Now, let me just say, for most of us here today, many watching on live stream, you have already accepted God's invitation. Come to me. Come be a part of the party, and you've already accepted Christ. You're part of his family. But now our role in this parable changes to that of the servants. We are to do what the master instructed the, ster- the servants to do. So as, a, as God's servants, we must, number one, go and deliver the invitation. I mean, we're to take it to everybody. He said, go out and invite everybody. Go out into the highways and hedges. Go to the lame, the blind, the maimed. And what that means is God wants every church to be evangelistic, but he doesn't want any church to be elitist. He wants us to go to the down and outs who live in the shacks and deliver the invitation to them. He wants us to go to the up and outs who live in the mansions and deliver the invitation to them. We are to invite everybody to come and be a part of God's family. And I thank God that Marberly Baptist Church has always had a reputation for being an evangelistic church. And we can never be satisfied as long as there are men and women, boys and girls who live in this area who have not yet received the invitation or accepted the invitation. It's our job to go and deliver the invitation. Come to Jesus. But then the second thing is this. As God's servant, we must bring people into his house until it's full. I like that part. He said, go out and get some more. I want my house to be full. Now, I'm quite sure that God has never played poker, but he loves a full house. (laughs) He likes to see his house full. And, you know, he said in this parable, there's still room. We've done that, but he said there's still room for more. I remember my home pastor growing up, Brother Fred White at First Baptist Church, Florella. Every time he would baptize somebody, he would say, Lord, we have done as you've commanded, and yet there is still room. And did you know that every time a church baptizes somebody, we've done as you've said, but there's still room. There's still people out there who don't know Jesus Christ, and so he wants to see his house full. You know, somebody has said there are two kinds of people. There are those who believe that everybody can be divided into two groups and, everybody, and those that believe that they can't be. Jesus was definitely one of those that think everybody can be divided into one of two groups. Because he said, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't gather for me, you scatter abroad. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the the simplicity of salvation is this, that God invites everybody, come to the party called salvation. And all you can do is say, all right, I'll accept that, or no, I'm not going to accept that. And so for those of you that are here, and especially those of you who may be watching online, I want to share God's invitation with you this morning. So you just fill in your name here. Dearest, put your name there. You are cordially invited 
to come enjoy the delicious banquet of my salvation. Serving will begin at my house and will continue for eternity. I'd love for you to come and get to know me personally and join my family. This feast is free to you because the cost has already been paid by my precious son, Jesus. You are receiving this invitation simply because I love you. Please join me and you may come just as you are. Sincerely, God Almighty, R-S-V-P. Do you know what that stands for? It's French. Responde, s'il vous plaît, respond, please. Anytime you see a RSVP on any invitation, that means you need to respond either yes or no. Don't ignore that or you insult the person that invited you. So right now, God wants for you to RSVP. Will you accept his offer of the free gift of eternal life? The only option, accept the invitation or reject his invitation. Let's pray. If you're here today or in watching online and you'd like to accept this free gift of eternal life, you can just pray a simple prayer like this. God, I admit I'm a sinner. I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. Thank you for your wonderful invitation. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross so I could be a part of your family. Right now, I accept your invitation. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. From, from now on until eternity. Thank you for putting me in your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.